is Multinew Media. Welcome uh, to another episode of Multinew Media. My name is Chris Ayers. I'm here with uh, Chase. Hi, everybody. Hey, Chase, have you heard about the Mexican voter records that were dumped on the internet? I probably should have, but no, I have not. So they had some data stored in a MongoDB, and it was not configured for security. It was wide open. And they exposed 93 million Mexican voting records. Oh, Anybody cool. can Thank, go out there and for download me. it and access it. That, that really scares me, because how much other stuff out there is not secured? Well, that was in April. Uh, last year, in December of 2015, there was an article on some researchers who scanned the, da- the internet, and they found 35,000 publicly accessible uh, like document DB uh, databases on the internet, and there was about 680 terabytes of data. And most of this is probably was all of that unsecured, or most of it? That's just the total. Unsecured. Of how much is- that was unsecured. Oh wow! And um, you know, 20 of my different projects are probably in there. I hate to say it, but it's a reality. We can talk security all we want, but isn't that the sad reality? Well, um, I figured that this would be a good intro to talking about some security. I think so, because you, quite frankly, have me scared. I don't need to watch a horror movie. The fact that people are out there poking and prodding. So I worked at a law firm. I worked at a financial company. I'm working at a a retail, uh, you know, consumer-facing business now. And so we kind of usually deal with two different types of information that we we really care about. There's PII and there's PCI. Oh, I'm taking notes. Do you know what those are? I have no idea. I'm I'm literally taking notes. I wasn't being facetious (laughs) when I said that. So PII is personally identifiable information. So if you have a website and people sign up, uh, you know, you take information from them. There's a login form, there's accounts, anything like that. And you can tie a name to an email address or, you know, to some type of identifiable information. You should probably encrypt that. that that's PII. So that that's sensitive stuff. So this is like so putting you, an like you said an email with a name or a credit card with yeah. a name well, no, or no, social. No, 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 not this that is far. Like email with a name, email. maybe a, a social security number or an address. Uh, okay, that uh, makes more maybe sense. Maybe passwords. That's PII. You can identify someone with that. Sure. PCI, is personal credit card information. Ooh. That's a whole another thing. So when you take online orders, or you do e-commerce, um. And so there's there, there's things that companies should definitely be aware of whenever you're dealing with either one of those types of information. Where would so, hey, let me let me interject a question really yeah. quickly. Where would something like a social security number, which you know a lot of different countries have, where where would that fall? Well, that would definitely be PII, but it could also be included in PCI depending upon, you know what you're doing. So, I mean, if you don't take a lot of online orders, but you're like medical insurance or or something like that, I would rate that much higher than just an address. Right. Or or just a name. I would, yeah, I would certainly hope so. Right. And it, it, you know, and, and this conversation might be more for, for bigger companies, smaller companies should definitely be aware of it. And everyday people should probably be aware of it if they're starting to look into e-commerce or, that sort of stuff on the internet. What what do you do to, you know, for your own security, like for your own passwords and stuff? Can I not answer that on the air? Um, I'm you you use the what? same password everywhere. I think you have me speechless here because uh, no, I know <laughs> I'm, I'm really, 
I'm not. I overuse the same word over and over every episode. I pick like you know Pee Wee Herman's day, word of the day. Um, my word today is going to be scared, and I want everybody to scream every time I say it. Um, you've got me thinking so far in advance right now because for years, right? I have some pretty complex passwords. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that they're perfect, but I'm also not going to rough myself up and say, oh, how horrible they are. Like Most of them are probably not very easy. Um, none of them should be easy to guess, and I don't think any. this is not a challenge to anyone. I want to I put that up front. Um, so with that said, for years I have known I really need to sit down and do a systematic review. Um, I, I really just want to jump on to either personally managing it myself or jumping into one of these services that enables really, really um, strange passwords that, you know, just are not guessable. Um, okay. And I'm, that's actually good. So the biggest thing just on the personal level that people do is they reuse passwords. Mm-hmm. They well, use the same password. They want to remember. They want to be able to place. remember the password. Right. So remember I said all these open databases or, or even a hacker gets in and gets a database with a username and password. Mm -hmm. If you reuse your password and they buy a database of passwords on the internet, um, you know, they'll probably try it. You know, but what if they try it on, you know, Amazon or, or Google play or Apple, you know, where you, you've, secured right. your account with the same password you use on a website. Now, I will admit this because I I think a lot of people do it and it's nothing new if you're targeting or PayPal. Well, if you're targeting me, um, I, I think a lot of people are like me in the sense that we have different tiers of passwords, if that makes okay. sense. Sure. So, and, and, and that's fine. I'm not going to lie. I have passwords that are one word, easy to guess, pull the dictionary, go through, attack it, right? right? But so, those are so, going to be... That's the other thing. Those don't are going to be to like, here's my newspaper account, you know, for this particular newspaper that I don't have a subscription to and uh, has no personal information on me other than maybe a post office box. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's that. Don't use words like simple words or one, two, three, four, five. You'll have to change your luggage just like the president on Spaceballs. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, and there <laughs> are, by the way, as a resource. Um, sorry to keep hijacking your topic, but as uh -huh. a resource, there are lists of the most common passwords and the most common credit card um, and debit card pin numbers. And I, I think one of the reasons that this topic concerns me so much is one day I had my wife hand me one of these lists and she goes, take a look at the um, debit card ones. Well, needless to say, about number six or seven on the list of the top 10, uh, I needed to go to the bank the next day and change all of my pin numbers. Um, hmm. you know, and I'm sitting here thinking of, okay, it's a, it was a slightly, and I don't use this anymore, but it was a slightly repetitive, well, slightly, slightly, I'm leaving some information it, out, slightly it, repetitive more than that. What if someone gets your address and it's the four digits of your house number? Don't do that. Well, yeah, okay. Or your yeah. license plate number. You've dropped your card. They look at your car as you drive off and it's not on your license. Don't do that. Yeah. You know, anything that's, that's forward facing like that, um, I, I think we really need to use some precaution. I mean, but Chris, what can, as far as information as and a number of other people do, they use password managers. Now, so a lot of us are scared of those too. Now I well, won't say that I'm necessarily scared of them, but I have some apprehension about who I'm trusting with this information. Well, you don't have to use online ones. Mm -hmm. You can use offline password managers. The, the biggest thing is you don't want to write down passwords. You don't want to use the same password. You don't want to repeat passwords or make easy ones. So these utilities 
which you can use offline. Um, you, you can, they even have stuff like, like KeyPass. There's an open source one that's people audit. Um, they leave it on a flash drive so they can take it out. You know, you take it out of your computer, take it with you. That can completely encrypt all your passwords everywhere. And when you need to go to a site or you need a new one, you can click a button and it'll generate a new cryptographically secure password with mixed case, numbers, letters, symbols, all the stuff. Yeah, see, that's what I need. Yeah. Those are things yeah. like LastPass and all of those, right? Right. LastPass is online. Um, I actually use LastPass. I, 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 um, I've used KeyPass. There's like one password. There's a number of tools and uh, utilities that I just, will, will help facilitate that. I kind of get the question of how long until one of these services, you know, some security vulnerability in the service is identified and then, you know, countless passwords for countless people have, have been. Um, well, they're all encrypted um, differently. It's not like in uh, in the service there's one password that's encrypting all the passwords for everybody. Um, and, and that kind of goes into some of the ways uh, developers and uh, security people will, will, will secure stuff. So but, is this kind of the equivalent like in a database doing an MD5 hash or something like that? Right. Like everything's encrypted, but it's per user encrypted. And then the whole database is encrypted. And then, you know, there's multiple levels mm-hmm. all the way up and down. But, uh, and so at this point, that's pretty safe because unless we just dramatically have an increase in computing power, um, you know, that some secret evil genius has access to and can break right. modern encryption when the rest of us are still using what we're using, uh, that, sh- that should be pretty safe, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there was a big push a couple of years ago to um, just always browse HTTPS, always use that SSL stuff. You it's- know, look for the little lock or... Look for the secure yeah, symbol. Whatever in your happened browser. to that? Because I don't see much of that being. Of course, I see a lot of sites just automatically redirect you. Yeah. Um, but is is there still is there any type of support or assistance for small site owners? I mean, if somebody's running a a custom hosted site, you know, through a um, a web tool that that's kind of one of these third party turnkey things, they they may kind of be out of luck and just want to be cognizant of what they're storing in that account, right? Yeah, and, and we can we can go into some more of the implementation stuff. It's just, you know, I figured now is a good time to raise some of this awareness, uh, raise some issues on on if you are getting that stuff out of store. And you know, we're just starting on the personal side of things. Um, you know, goes back to the '90s. Watch where you put your credit card in online, and don't do these things at coffee shops and public. You know. Wi-Fi hotspots, all, all all the normal things we all know. Right. Well, what about uh, what about using a VPN? Right. I've heard a lot of talk about tech companies trying to roll out VPNs. Um, this was supposed to make its way to Windows Mobile. I don't know if it has, but the idea of everything essentially going through some type of um, VPN-like encryption service so that it makes public uh, Wi-Fi hotspots safe is is that something that an average user on their phone on their laptops can well, at the other end, enact. it depends. Are you doing a VPN into your company? So if I'm using a laptop and I'm VPNing into work, what that does is it allows me to access all the servers and and applications that are on that company's network, just like I'm sitting there at work. Right. Um, and that is encrypted. Now, 
the flip side is if I'm on my phone and I'm trying to, you know, I signed up for some VPN somewhere and I'm just trying to VPN to it, it's just VPNing you onto the internet right. to a hotspot. That that doesn't add. Well, and, and see, I'm not the it, other end of it. Someone could still intercept you. Yeah, as you know, I'm not knowledgeable on that particular field. It was just something I'd heard about of trying to, yeah. and I don't know if it was direct VPN or just cr- literally recreating the structure that so that all information went through an encrypted channel. And I think that's what it was a little bit more. But I really haven't heard yeah. anything about it in yeah. probably the last year or so. But I mean, that that's normal. Like I said, personal security. Right. Um, let's take it up a notch. What do you think is is good diligence if if you're a business? And let's just let's just start the lowest level. Employees uh, acting as representatives of your business when they may not have the legal or or managerial authority to do so is a big concern that I think um, a lot of people have as well. I'm sorry, I missed that. What? You know, you have a lot of employees and they're signing up for accounts like you're mentioning. And and do they have the legal? Do they have the managerial authority? to even be creating these accounts, what type of information are they putting in there? So kind of to answer your question in this transition, I think the business side is even scarier to most people than the personal side. Oh, it is much scarier. And and that's, I was a little confused by what you were saying. Uh, I'm just talking about, you know, let's say you have a blog somewhere or, or, uh, you know, like one of the big news article sites and you can make an account and you can sign up and then you can uh, comment. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so now there's account information that you're gathering from users. People come to your site, they type in stuff, you save it in a database. Right. So bottom line, what's some of the base diligence you can do to try to protect some of that PII? You know, well, I, I, first thing, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm going a little bit too basic, but I would limit what we're asking of the customer first of all. Um, but for the email address and things like well, that, you get what you need. That's a very, very good point. I mean, sometimes marketing's pushing and they want more so that they can right, of course, learn more about their users. And, but- and let me say, I'm guilty of that. How many, how many students and how many uh, corporate clients have I told collect every single thing you can possibly collect? And, and well, the security side says, right, I you wasn't really need that. I wasn't the IT person having to account for that at the end of the day. Um, so I'm so guilty of that. Get that. So I what get the email, you know, I, uh, this is, this is me answering honestly off the cuff. What I would want to do is, is first, and this may be too simple, but I don't want to display their email address. So I, I don't want to make it easily accessible and just publish it out there on the web, right? I don't want to use it as a part of their username or anything like that. So, uh, I'm being responsible in what I do with the email. Now, right, once well, it's, once okay. it's stored in the database, so that, that that's fine. They they say hello Chase and there's a link that says Chase and it doesn't show their email address unless right. they're like in some secure place editing their stuff. Right. And then you okay. have have web services that will enable you to cloak email addresses so that, you know, if you do allow people to email back and forth, which I, again I wouldn't suggest on comments, well, but if you do allow that, yeah. you can cloak the email address. Uh, so but what about just ignoring that type of front end stuff? What about once once it's in the it's database, right? Once it's in the database, I'm I'm going to be brutally honest here. I would probably not encrypt that information, and that's just the honest answer from the business side that I'm going to give, and something that probably frustrates you technology folks to no end. So, email addresses. Um. So most of the time. 
when you get to authentication information, um, passwords are usually one-way encrypted. So it's a hash. They type in mm-hmm. a password. You never know what it is. Right. You will, you will never, ever, ever know what it is. They type it in. It goes through some mathematical magic, and out comes this blob of text. That blob of text, if, if, if somebody else comes and types in a password, they get a different blob of text. But if someone comes and types in the exact same keys, the exact same way, you get the same blob of text as the first. That, that's how they do it. You, you never know what the password is. It just goes through some process, and you get the end result of this. You know. Right. And I've always, uh, I've always kind of so had this thought. you store the one-way hash. And then a lot of the other stuff, it's all two-way encrypted because if you are security-minded, you want to encrypt your data at rest. So when it's sitting in the database and you shut off the server, someone cannot come and take the hard drive and scan through and find emails and names and addresses. Okay. It's we, all encrypted at rest. I've got to pause you here because we've got a couple terms that I know I don't know. And I think okay. a lot of people on the business side won't know. That's what I'm saying. At rest, I'm guessing. Right. Well, so I'm just recapping. We have one-way encryption and two-way encryption. And the one-way right. encryption, I think you did a great job describing. Right. And because of that, you know, you get that you get the hash on the so, other end. You get so the encrypted two-way data. Two-way encryption is kind of like a cipher. Essentially, they they put in their name or their email address, and we encrypt it. But the algorithm we're using to encrypt it, we can decrypt it later. Okay. So this is with, sort of a re- with, with, with the proper, you know, passwords on the system level, it, it encrypts it and saves it in the database. And when it goes to pull it out, it decrypts it to send it out. Right. Okay. So and, that makes and, sense. And, so, so somebody some has the, the key, essentially. Right. And that that so step one is encrypt everything. Everything's encrypted. You know, at rest. Step two is. Not everybody needs the encryption keys. Well, before you get there, describe the at rest. What's that? What's at rest? So there is a slight difference between in motion and at rest. So in motion is I've queried the database and it's sitting in memory about to get shipped out to the client. Okay. And that that's where that HTTPS security comes in. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be encrypted on its way to the client, but on that one server after it gets it from the database there'll be a brief period where it's plain text. So at rest is really while you're on the hard drive. Yeah. So okay. if if the computer was off, the power was out, there's no power anywhere, someone could come in and take the hard drive and try to scan it and decrypt in and look at it, but they wouldn't be able to access anything because it'd all be encrypted. Okay. At rest. Would you, you know. go so, so far as to encrypt even... You wouldn't encrypt the, the Every, user's name, would you? All authentication stuff should be encrypted. Even, even the person's first name? Sure, at rest. Okay. Because think about it. Every single piece of information that you reveal about a client or a customer, if if that database gets stolen, is probably a risk. Well, that's it's much... risk that's, to your business that you've leaked passwords, you, the password hashes, you've leaked usernames, you've linked... Pa- uh, email addresses. And so even anything that's identifiable, and I think that's a much larger statement, probably, okay, so you're on the tech side here, that's probably a larger statement than you realize. You the- don't want to have, as a company, to go out to the world and go, hey, um, we screwed up, somebody hacked us, and there's been a database dump, and it has all the usernames and passwords change everything. Well, not even usernames and passwords, because it brings up a good point. You don't even want to make sure, you want to make sure that not even their names are in there, so that they're identifiable as a customer. Right. I mean, for for most of us... This is the due diligence, I'm just saying. 
Ah, yeah. This see, is what you and it. Every step you do, it's not required, but everything you do mitigates risk, but mitigates liability. Again, from a business point of view, I think that really helps some of the management, some of the executive teams really understand this is a t- the level of of commitment you need to respecting privacy. And I never, um, well, until yeah. you just said it, would have 100%. ever thought oh, yeah. to encrypt a first name. Well, yeah. Um, so there's a user ID there, sure. You, you're always passing around a user ID, sure. And, and maybe there's some transactions that are associated with the user ID or comments associated with it. Who is that? You don't know. All the other stuff's encrypted. There's a database that's encrypted, user ID to Chris, Ayers, my email address, and maybe another encrypted thing that's my password. But <laughs> yeah. you know, so all, if all people see is two. Well, from, from the customer's point of view, then, if you're engaged in a service, even if they're doing these things, you don't want to make your username your social media name that identifies you as a person. Some people, do, yeah, I mean, some people have personas, and that's why right. there's usernames that don't match their name. Right. Um, but so just technical implementation-wise, you're going to try to encrypt everything. So policy-wise, who can who can change the configurations? Who can tweak it? Who, who, who has access to those passwords? And this is where you start having security teams, you know, the lowest dev that just started and is doing some work for you shouldn't be able to grab the password and decrypt the database and look at it. Right. They probably shouldn't have access to prod. That's what's always scared me about web hosting providers is a number of customer support people that I talk to that are like, you know, hold on, give me a minute and I'll look something up for you. And they come back and give me information about my account or or what's in my uh, account rather that I'm thinking, I didn't publicly de- release that on the web. You shouldn't be able to look through my directories and see absolutely everything that's there. But um, Well, it- on a web hosting machine, that, it, there's, that's nothing. I'm talking about, um, you know, you should probably have security teams. And the password to get into the system is usually disabled. It's usually locked down. Right. And they turn it on when you're doing a deployment. And then as soon as the deployment's done, they turn it back off so that... You don't have an admin uh, an admin account and password that are open all the time that people can just go into prod. People can't go into prod and change things. Mm-hmm. It's locked down unless there's a specific like change request or a specific deployment going on. Are, are there is there anything that requires multiple levels of authentication? Uh, not authentication, excuse me. Multiple levels of of approval, like so the oh, the deployment kickoff would require in the several I've people. Worked, where there's financial or retail. Um, we do the dev work. We test in dev. We ask for permission to deploy things to QA. QA then gives approval when they're done testing and they're ready for the next build. They QA that build. Um, if that build passes, um, we generate a change management request usually, and we um, say, hey, this build is ready to go. Um, QA is signed off. And we get sign-offs from like the CTO or the uh, security team and the application management team that says, yes, this does what we want it to do. Uh, yes, it's, it's, you know, it meets our security requirements. Yes, it meets our QA requirements. It has no defects or the defects are minimal. That then usually goes into a staging or pre-production area where they can test it for performance because the pre-prod environment usually matches prod. So you can test and make sure it doesn't uh, kill your servers with bad code before you go into prod. And it's kind of a practice run for the DevOps people 
the people that actually do the deployment. At this point, devs should not be involved. Devs should not be touching QA or pre-prod or prod. The DevOps people that do deployments uh, should be doing all that. And, and for the most part, it should be automated builds and automated deployments. So it's just you click a button and it does it. That way you reduce human error. Well, that's, but, uh, that's a big one. Once they sign off on the pre-prod area or the user acceptance area and say, yeah, that, that does everything. That works great. They'll usually schedule time for the production. And um, when you start the deployment, um, they'll re-enable the accounts needed to do it. Access will be granted to the people that need to get into it. They'll do the deployment. They'll disable the accounts. Uh, QA will retest everything. And, you know, there's it's usually production. <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of moving pieces and authorizations because you want to make sure what you put out works right. And then you want to make sure it's secure. Well, I think you're right. That really, that really speaks to larger businesses who have the resources and have the staff. Yeah. And with as many small businesses um, that I encounter throughout my work, uh, it almost makes me wonder what advice I can get from you to be giving to them if there are any consultants so, that are listening. Bottom and- line for small businesses: if you take backups, encrypt your backups, or or take them off site. You know, if if you are having someone take credit card information and stuff, try not to store the credit card information. Go through like a payment gateway where, you know, like when you take PayPal payments, you don't store the credit card. Right. PayPal does. PayPal does all that hard work. And they give you like some authorization token and say, yep, they paid. Yeah, and I'm familiar with with, with various merchant accounts out there. There are similar services so that you don't have to be on something as, as no offense to PayPal, but as entry level as PayPal, even though they but, do but, have a full merchant account. Right, but a merchant account through a payment gateway. So right. sure, your front end, your, your website might take some payment information, but it ships it off to somewhere else and you don't store it. Right. And you don't have to store and it. That's and you the have thing. less liability. Don't store that credit card. Now, what about e-commerce providers they want to store they want to be able to have you know amazon style one click purchase or something like that but i i mean what is the advice simply don't do that unless you have the resources to fully well well, that's like that gateway stuff where you're storing an authorization key from a third party and the third party has your credit card information right and that's what i was saying i'm aware they exist but i didn't i didn't realize we were on the same page there limit access don't let you know um don't let people look at stuff if they don't need to. If you have people on the phone, they shouldn't be able to pull up and go, oh, yeah, you've got uh, this credit card saved. Oh, um, or, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories about people at call centers. Oh, yeah. They, you know, <laughs> have they you can ever, look up social security numbers. Have you ever or, worked hey, in a call center? that payment right now, and we don't do that. Well, they gave it to me, and they, people writing stuff down and taking it with them. I, I mean. Have you ever worked in a call center? I am for three days. I, <laughs> not like not I was team. like, no. Yeah. No. I worked in it. I was in um, part of the entertainment industry. And when I was in college, I worked in uh, theme parks and uh, you can figure it out. I was in Tampa. What, what theme parks are, right? So um, I worked in a call center for um, probably about a year as a marketing rep for, for what were then the Anheuser-Busch uh, theme parks. And we had, uh, and I'm kind of I, I am taking this somewhere. We had a really leading edge, custom built um, CRM solution, and this thing was built by Anheuser Busch's um, 
IT folks from the ground up, from what I was told. It was a completely custom job. This is before Salesforce even existed, and uh, it was web-based. Um, uh, again, I can't stress this enough, all custom deployment, and they were really good with protecting information. We couldn't get credit cards. We couldn't get social security numbers, which I don't even think we collected social for anything. But it did scare me a little bit one day, and I think the first time I ever thought about enterprise-level security was I was at work, and I had made a note in my head between calls of something I needed to do for homework for one of my finance classes. Well, you know, the next piece of paper I need while I'm in a call is right there. There's the, the paper I made the note on. Someone's mentioning something, and I jot down their address really quick because I need to pull it and look it up. Well, I'm in class the next day, and I see that address on that piece of paper, and I'm thinking, um, I really, <laughs> you know, whoops, right? We know we have the policy. You can't take any information out. I didn't realize that oh. it was on that sheet of paper. But imagine I'm if somebody's being malicious. Imagine what you're giving your employees access to, whether they're good-hearted or not. Really just limit that information uh, to a as-needed basis. I've worked, uh, well, I, I, my, I have some friends that told me that they they work at places where you're not allowed cell phones. You're not allowed smartwatches. If they find one, um, you're fired. Mm-hmm. They walk around with like an e- EM detector. Yeah, a lot of find one on a you, lot of militaries yeah. like that. If you go down to no uh, paper, yeah. there's no paper allowed in the facility. McDill Air Force Base is that way in in Southern Tampa. Of uh, check your cell phones in, go through security detection. Um, um, I was a military contractor prior to 9/11, and during 9/11, and shortly there, shortly after, and I worked in some places that um, the building was a Faraday cage, essentially. Wow. I mean, but we don't all have to go that far, right? If, no, if, if no, you're no. running just, a couple of on-prem servers, do you, um, do you need I'm to just, go? Everybody shouldn't have passwords to everything. It should be limited, tiered. You know, like you should have one or two high-level people that have access to everything, and you should have some right management. Now, like, I've, I've seen a couple of companies that even have gone so far as to not even give the high-level uh, executives yeah, management. Not, I'm not saying executive. I'm saying like the deployment manager or the app dev manager who's who's handling the deployment. Sure, sure, they can do it. Or if you're in a small company, sometimes the worst thing you can do is give the owner of the company all the passwords. I, I know that sounds terrible. No, no. And I, th- I think even on the business side, most business owners would, would look straight back at you going, of course, that's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Like, yeah. Well, well, I don't even want, even outside of security, we don't want that liability. Right. Well, because sometimes they're like, hey, I want you to go do this. And they're like, you know, we have channels. You, you should. Well, what, uh, and sort of backtracking to the point I was making, what about these um, systems in which companies exist where nobody can look something up, and you kind of get that response of "sorry, um, you know, we can't, we can't access that information." Well, How- sometimes it's a liability. Again, you know, if you're dealing with user data and you screw something up, and someone's, you know, a Kevin Mitnick or or a hacker out there is doing social engineering. Um, oh, hey, yeah, I, uh, you, and you walk by someone's house and you take a piece of mail out of their mailbox which is yeah federal offense you you call them up oh hey um yeah i lost my credit card uh yeah this is my account number here's my name uh yeah yeah i live at this address you know and they just they start trying to feed you the information they need you know they're doing the things that you expect just saying you know this is this is is social engineering this is where you have these policies in place so that you know, you've done your due diligence to 
protect that data as best you can. If something, if a leak happens and it's your fault and someone loses their house and all their money, you're, it's going to be tragic. And then your business is going to be liable for that. And then your business might not exist. Well, you know, I, I, you didn't tell me you were going to bring up social engineering. This is near and dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> And for anybody who knows my background, I worked in uh, purchasing and negotiations for a number of years before I moved into teaching and consulting or back into consulting, I guess, or officially into those things. And um, social engineering, I will admit this now, and I'm, I'm not doing this to, to do a CYA measure. This is absolutely true. I've never done any illegal social engineering. It Neither has, have I, it but has, I've done it. Yeah, it's been I've completely legal. And I'll tell you what, I tell my students, um, anytime we cover a topic about purchasing, and in fact, I slipped this into a conversation about marketing the other day, uh, I, I tell them an example of where the salesperson I was working with, because again, I was a buyer at the time, wasn't going to give me the information. This is all manufacturing equipment that I was buying. They weren't going to give me the information. They had trained the engineer to not give me the information, but the engineer oh, went on vacation one day. And made the mistake of giving me the assistant's name and number and saying, well, if you need anything, uh, call that person. So I called oh, that yeah, person. Oh, yeah, Bob told me that you yeah. were going to forward me this file. Yeah. I never got it. So-and-so told me, I just need, you know, we're trying to make sure we meet your profit margins on this. Can you just go ahead and tell me wh- what the, you know, what the budget is? And he, he said it'd be perfectly fine. Just give me that information. We're, we're pitching to you next week. And uh, we have to make sure we meet your margins. What if that information was locked down? Mm-hmm. And you had to have approval to access it or be the high-level manager to, to access it in order to get that information. I think one of the that, difficulties is how do uh, – whether you're a technology manager, whether you're a business manager, whether no matter what field you're in, how do you identify the data inside of these processes that need to be locked down? I mean there's so much data in a business. Is well, there, I wasn't talking about business data in this case. I was, I've been talking about – well, but customer is there data. is there user customer user data, customer credit card data, social security data, the stuff that's you really should. Well, but be from the technical say. side, is there a systematic review, any type of policy, any type of procedure, any type of framework that so we could I, then apply? So for some companies, um, there are standards that I'm sure need to be met. I know with financial companies, a lot of times they'll they'll do audits. They'll like audit your code base. They'll have like banks will send auditors into your company if you're dealing with them to audit stuff. There's there's some websites for the um, for the web security stuff. It's called OWASP uh, that that has a an OWASP project, and every year they 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 go over um, the the web security. Like they have a top ten that they um, go over every year. I'm gonna sound really smart here because I looked it up. Looked it up. OWASP, Open Web Application Security Project. Yeah, they talk about like the, the terms you've heard floated around, possibly cross-site scripting, SQL injection, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so they 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 identify some of the things that you need to look for, and they uh, they they list some ways to to deal with it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like cool. for 2013, it was in, uh, like injection, broken authentication systems, cross-site scripting, direct references. So like, you know, if you had a special URL that got to you to some file and you could only get to it if you knew the URL, it wasn't very secure. It just was hidden. Right. Yeah. Security misconfiguration where doing something, you can become an admin. 
sensitive data exposure where you're just exposing the stuff. You shouldn't be. Well, what can uh, we do about some of these situations in which, and I'll give another scenario to paint this picture instead of rambling about it. You know, I was tricked into a web meeting once, and there was a policy. I was in a company, and it was very clear. Once the meeting time frame ends, um, you know, you had a week or two to meet with everybody. Once that ends, you can no longer have a meeting with any of the potential vendors. Uh, vendors. Well, oh, one calls me one day and says, hey, did you get the file that we sent to you? And I said, yeah, I think I got them all. And they said, well, well we forgot one. And they emailed me. And so they had... Um, Disguise the URL using some type of third-party service. Uh, I mean, now you could just do this with Bitly or whatever. And uh, I click the URL, and next thing I know, I'm in a um, in a Citrix meeting. So uh, wait, 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 wait. Somebody emailed you a link, and you just clicked on it. No, they, they were on the phone with me. I knew this person had been working with this person, had met with this person, and they said, but, "Hey, but, we but, forgot but, to but, send but, you but a file." You clicked on a link. Somebody emailed you. Yeah, they were. They had okay. been. They were an approved vendor. Okay. Yeah, all of that was above board. I mean, and that's my point. I'm not, I think, I'm not looking down at you too much. No, Go I mean, on. that is my point, though. There are certain things, if we're in operations of a business, you can't tell all of your operations people, don't ever click on, on a link that somebody sends you, even if it's an approved vendor. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. So so you, you're you in a Citrix meeting now. Right, so now I'm in a Citrix meeting, and the first thing I have to do is say, actually, I will admit this. The first thing I was supposed to say was, I have to terminate this call in this meeting. I was so, being a fan of social engineering, I was so impressed that I actually told them, I said, I'm supposed to disconnect this call. I'm going to put, I, I said, I'm going to put my headset on and, and put it on mute, and I'm going to sit here for five minutes. They they okay. got the hint. They went. They did a five-minute spiel. I was just that impressed with it. Okay. But I would imagine that from a security point of view, the IT department was not impressed. So what happens at some places um, is they have – well, usually you have antivirus on most machines. Like especially when you start dealing with, like I said, the PCI information, credit card or social security, um, there's very strict policies on like what can be installed on servers that have that data. Like nothing unauthorized. You, you know, there's strict stuff on what's on that machine, who has access to that machine, how often the antivirus is configured and run and scanned. Um, web filters, network filters, firewalls, like so many layers of protection on those stuff. Um, but a lot of times there'll be firewalls blocking ports or the, the you know, McAfee or Norton or whatever antivirus they're using will be configured to block certain executables. You know, we don't do Citrix meetings. We only do go to meetings. So we're going to block Citrix EXE because mm -hmm. we think it's a security risk or we don't let you share files via Dropbox, so we're just going to block that domain. Right. Or we don't want you remote desktoping into something. There's no reason you should. Remote desktop ports are blocked for everybody. And and then devs might be like, hey, I need it to do this thing. This one machine, what's your IP? Okay, this one machine can remote desktop to that one machine you need to do. We're but I think it's fair to say to somebody could come up with a rebuttal for each of these, and I think one place to steer That's this fine. is this is a constant trade-off, isn't it? There's no way you can right. perfectly secure an organization, but at the same time, you have to strive towards that. It, it, it's an escalation. You put some stuff in place, hackers find ways around it. You put some more stuff in place, but that's what you need to do to protect things sometimes. Right. Well, I think this has been a very, very informative conversation. And one thing I'd like to do to start wrapping it up is ask you, what are some of the takeaways we should be taking from this? If we're a small business, if we're a mid-sized business or a large business, what can we all do 
uh, even as an individual, what, what are the steps that we can all take right now as soon as we finish listening to this episode? Um, I would start using a password manager if you can. Um, if you have multiple passwords or multiple sites or banks or things using the same password, go change them. You should probably change your passwords every, you know, 90 days, every, you know, every two, three months. You should change your passwords and don't repeat them. Don't just increment the number. If you're a business owner and you have client data, look into encryption. Look into who has access to that data. Do they need access? Those are some basic things you can do. I sure have learned a lot today and I appreciate it. No problem. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.